You're listening to Sprogcast, a podcast for people interested in pregnancy, birth, infant feeding and early parenting. Sprogcast is presented by Mark Harris and Karen Hall and sponsored by Pinter and Martin. Welcome to episode 54 of Sprogcast. I'm Karen Hall. And I'm Mark Harris. In this episode, we're chatting to and about Millie Hill and her new book, Give Birth Like a Feminist. So it's all about autonomy and human rights in birth. Sprogcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Pinter and Martin, an independent publishing company at pinterandmartin.com. They generously offer a 10% discount to customers using the Sprogcast code, all capital letters, at the checkout. We're also collecting sponsorship at patreon.com slash sprogcast where you can sign up for badges t-shirts and other exciting rewards big thank you to our newest patron fleur parker i hope you've got your badge by now she will by the time she hears this but i have literally just posted it (laughs) oh cool and i i'm just in receipt of a box of men love and birth books oh if you support us on patreon Uh, At a certain level, you'll get a signed copy. Is there anyone left who hasn't got a copy yet? I hope there's loads of people. You know, I I got notified by Pinter and Martin that there are something like five countries interested in translating it. Oh, that's nice. You'll be internationally famous. Pan, I think. Uh, Was it France? Um, I forget the others. But yeah, no, really exciting. Oh, that's ace. Yeah, it's a difficult task because the the book occurs to me as full of uh, a lot of colloquialisms. Yeah, how are they going to translate New Age Wanker? I have no idea. (laughs) Interesting task ahead of them, whoever decides to go for it. It really is. Anyway, how are you then? What's going on? I'm doing all right. Term has started, so I'm back into university stuff, just getting ready to um, run my module in a couple of weeks. Uh, And what's your module again? My module is breastfeeding knowledge at level four. So lots of fundamentals, how does it all work? And then the social and cultural context. So as you can imagine, I really, really love doing that. I bet you do. Do you do, do, you do a lot of anatomy and physiology? Not a great deal, no. Well, we do kind of the physiology of how uh, milk production works. Yeah. We're not dissecting anything. No, oh, good. <laughs> I, I tell you what um, was, I found interesting. You know, when I first studied as a midwife back in 91 we had we had pictures uh of the inside of a breast you know drawn pictures mm. and when i did a return to practice which is oh nearly 12 years ago now um apparently the pictures have been updated mm. because of the advances in scanning frmi scanning what we thought they was going on inside the breast actually wasn't and they look very different to, to the way they looked when I was taught about them on the inside. Weren't those original pictures made from basically corpses where the, the exactly. illustrator had spread everything out nicely to make it look pretty for the drawing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Women in every context need to be pleasing to the eye. Are you making are you making some down with the patriarchy type comment, Karen? Am I speaking? Then I'm making that comment. Wow. I don't know. We're going to be talking about Millie's book in a bit, aren't we? Don't want to we are. I think ahead. it might have got me a bit fired up. Sorry. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm just back from doing BA three-step rewind process training with 21 to one midwives. Brilliant. Was that the one that you offered them? Yeah, well, we gifted them it. You know, I just wanted to do something and uh, 20 of them came and uh, I'm going back again to train a few more. 
nice for them. Yeah, it was nice to see them. It was nice to acknowledge um, how cutting edge they are uh, in terms of as a project. You know, they were ahead of the curve. And uh, lovely to hear that a number of them are staying independent and getting insurance through my midwife and me, which is um, a business, I suppose, that offers independent midwives indemnity cover for intrapartum period. Mm. And it was lovely to talk to them and to pick up on the excitement that they were feeling about, you know, a new new page turning. That's really nice that it, it's it's turning out to be an opportunity. Yeah, not for all of them. Don't forget, you know, the, the, the nature of the human animal. And, and not necessarily for some of the women who have effectively been dropped. And I know that's not a deliberate thing. But... Definitely not. Well, they had no choice about that uh, in many ways because no, of no. the way the system was managed by others. Um, but no, no. Th- the majority, I'd say, or quite a large number of the women that joined that project joined it because of a previous experience that wasn't good. Mm. You know, when you think about that, suddenly they have to go into the system they were seeking to avoid. Mm. Also, when you think about the midwives that worked on that project, you know, I would say a number of them had poor experiences when they went into NHS hospitals with their clients. You know, they've been treated in ways that, you know, uh, weren't very pleasant so if you can imagine they're the very hospitals they're now applying to work in that's not a pleasant experience potentially yeah definitely um which puts me in mind of something i was going to say do you know guess who i've been talking to you can't guess go on. Got no idea um uh hold on hold on let me guess all right no no, 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 no. Okay. Um, Marie Lewis, who is a consultant midwife, or she was a consultant midwife, and she's the person that I'm interviewing on stage at the Northern Ireland Positive Birth Conference next week. Ooh, um, next or week? In two days' time, if you're listening to this on day of release. And yeah. um, she was so interesting, and I'm really, really looking forward to chatting with her, although a little nervous about doing it without, y- you know, normally how we are we're at home aren't we nobody can see us and i can edit it later so it's live and that's a bit terrifying Uh, yeah don't worry there'll only there'll only be about 250 people there but that helps a lot mark thanks yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um but she she was talking about you know the system and and all the issues that are coming up and i thought we'll, we'll get her back at some point and actually interview her for the show definitely definitely yeah i'm excited about next week aren't you yes definitely am yeah who's who's on i, th- I think michelle O'Donts on isn't he yes michelle is second to last before neve mccabe oh nice so i'll get to hear him then because uh yeah brilliant very excited i'm speaking on transforming birthing culture yes well i think we better move on to millie then well i was wondering whether it would be good to listen to the interview first Mm. And then that. we could talk about it because we've we've both got the book and you've heard the interview and I think it's such an interesting subject. So let, let's play Millie now. Right, so I have got Millie Hill on the line and I am really looking forward to talking to her about her new book called Give Birth Like a Feminist, which um, came out at the end of August and um, so far, what I've been reading of it, I think this is right up our street. Hi, Millie. Hi, thanks for having me, Karen. You're welcome. Thank you for, for having some time in the summer holidays. I know it's really hard. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so I've owned your book for four hours. Okay. And I've been really enjoying it. Thank you for writing it. It's important. 
Thank you. I'm really excited to have been given the chance to write it, really. It's, you know, I've told the story to a few people already that to me it was kind of interesting in itself that somebody wanted me to write it because I think that says a lot about where we've moved to in terms of, you know, women's um, lives as a whole and the conversation about women's bodily autonomy. I think um, maybe in some ways you could argue that the, the book wouldn't have happened without me too. Mm. Um, and I think that's moved everybody's thinking forward a bit, um, quite rapidly kind of fast forwarded people's thinking about women's um the experience of being female. And I think the book kind of um, came along at that moment where obviously people like publishers and, you know, literary folk are are not plugged into the birth world in the way that we are. So they had to sort of have some of those other prompts coming from other directions to help them to see why, you know, why the book needed to be written. And so, yeah, it's great that they could see that. And I was quite surprised myself when, <laughs> when there was an enthusiasm for it from people who are not involved in the birth world. So I think that's a really good thing. Mm, maybe this is the perfect time to open up this conversation about bodily autonomy for women and consent and who makes the decisions. It's a really hard conversation to have. It is really difficult. And in the context of maternity care, it's really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I find it a bit anxiety provoking being the person who's kind of like sort of opening up some of these conversations because rather like me too, you know, you can get a bit of a backlash against um, some of it. And it's a very emotive discussion. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can. My aim with the book is just to start the conversation to get people talking. And hopefully we can do that without kind of it degenerating into a kind of like angry attacking conversation which sometimes happens doesn't it in in birth because there are there are so many emotions involved and so many people's personal experiences involved yes there's a real tendency to polarize oh totally and I've tried to I mean I don't know where you've got to whether you've got to me going on about polarization but I do talk about that in the book a lot and I've tried really hard to sort of not let myself do that and to kind of like flag it up as something that we all need to be watching out for constantly. I felt like what came across in the book so far is um, a, a very balanced tone in the sense of being respectful of people's choices, which is what you are writing about. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I've always tried to do, I think, with the positive birth movement um, and with the other book I've done, the positive birth book, I've always tried to sort of give back to women the definition of what a good or a positive birth experience is rather than trying to set an agenda and say, look, this is the best kind of birth you can have and this is how to get it. Um, So this book's no different in that respect. Um, And I've tried to to tread that line, you know, and it it is a hard line to tread because we do need to have a conversation about whatever you want to call it, natural birth, normal birth, straightforward birth, physiological birth. We do need to have a conversation about that. Um, And that is a feminist, you know, an area for feminist attention Um, what is happening um, at the moment to women in the sense that so few women are having a, again, insert your favourite word here, natural, normal, straightforward, physiological. (laughs) Well, you you could just say so few women are having a positive birth experience. Well, that's also true, but I think that's a separate discussion because we can talk about how to make birth more positive for all women, no matter what kind of birth they want or need. But we also do, I think, need to have a conversation about physiological birth and why so few women are having that. Because at the moment, the percentage of women who are actually having a birth without any um, you know, pharmacological or medical input at all is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And 
it, that might be okay. We might all come to an agreement that that's fine. But then we need to say, well, what are we going to do next? You know, what is the future of birth? And, um, you know, so there are important conversations to be had a, about that type of birth, I think, which is becoming, you know, heading towards extinction. Yeah. And it's not because our bodies are getting less and less capable. Well, some people say that it is. It's because we're getting older and fatter. But I think that's another sort of <laughs> fairly, um, my feminist flag goes up when I hear that as well, really. So and that's another interesting part of the discussion. Are, you know, are we fit for purpose? Are women's bodies made to give birth or not? That is interesting. And there must be data that would support or disprove whether it's only the older and fatter women <laughs> having these experiences. I feel very politically incorrect right now. Yeah, there is. Um, you know, there are interesting yeah, figures around it. But I think also, I mean, in, in my book, um, you know, I've looked at some of the models of care um, where they are very hands off. Um, and it's really interesting when you look at their data and I've actually got some of the numbers in front of me because I, I pulled them together for a conversation or something about this the other day. And I thought I'd mention them to you because I think it's so interesting. Um, the, a wonderful midwife in Australia who runs a place called the Lismore Birth House, um, where she is very, very hands off. Um, and she has all different kinds of women from all different, you know, shapes and sizes and risk, um, factors or whatever you want to call them come through her doors Well, she has an 89% um, straightforward vaginal birth rate and a 6% cesarean rate. Then you've got the wonderful one-to-one -one midwives. Um, I won't go into their situation right now because we're talking about something else, but their um, figures show a 97% straightforward birth rate at, at their home births and 76% if you combine in the hospital. Um, the Albany, um, who many people know about who got closed down, um, they had a 79.8% straightforward vaginal birth rate and Ina Mae Gaskins, the farm, has a 95% straightforward vaginal birth rate. So all of these models of care who are treating women in a different way, um, who have all kinds of women coming through their doors, they're not sort of um, different to average women. <laughs> they're just women. <laughs> yeah. um, are getting these results and having, you know, this sort of extraordinary figures really when you compare them to the national normal birth rate in this country um, which is about 59 percent so you know we have these we have to ask ourselves what are these models of care doing that isn't happening for the the, the average person who's going through the nhs let's say um, and so many women are coming through the other side of birth feeling their bodies let them down they shouldn't have made that birth plan they shouldn't have got their hopes up um, and kind of blaming themselves in a way and carrying a lot of the kind of negative feelings away with them and having to sort of process them. But actually, I think we need to be asking, could that woman have had a better chance if she had been looked after by one of these sort of different care models and, you know, had a different, a different approach to birth surrounding her during her pregnancy, labour and and the birth experience. Mm. And I know you've listened to a lot of um, birth stories, as have I, and, well, you're never in a position to kind of make that judgment of, oh, well, if only. Mm. You can't help it sometimes just thinking, in that situation, I'm not particularly surprised that that, that was the outcome. I know. And you can kind of, I mean, sometimes I even sort of see it unfolding you know like as it, in real time you know somebody's mm -hmm. messaging me about oh now this has happened and then now they've said this and you just think 
I know what's going. I know how this is going to go. I just know it, and and it does. It ends up in a, a traumatic experience or a cesarean or both. And you know, it is. There are things that are not being got right for women. Um, and it's again, it's difficult to say these things because there are so many great um, midwives um, and obstetricians and birth workers who are all doing their best. But we have to look at this question of why more women are not having a better birth experience and why one in three women in the UK are, are having birth that they consider to be traumatic. One in 25 have PTSD. Well, that's, you know, that's something that you get from being in the, on the battlefield. Mm. So, you know, there seems to be a sort of shrug involved, especially in kind of like the wider world and the media, et cetera, like oh, well, you know, that's just birth, you know, birth is just like that. But, you know, I think when you look at some of the figures that I've just quoted and you talk to women who have had better birth experiences, you realise it's more complicated than that. Birth isn't inherently traumatic. Um, it's what's happening to women in, in the care system that is traumatising them, not birth itself, for the most part, although there are exceptions to these things and there are some situations where it's going to be very difficult um, traumatic experience, no matter how brilliant the care or what situation you're in. So I'm not making sweeping generalizations. But that should be the exception, shouldn't it? Yeah, that should be the exception. It shouldn't be one in three. Um, when I talk to women in antenatal settings, they will tend to be quite dismissive of the idea of birth plans. You know, what's what's the point? Or we, we've been told to have one, but not set any store by it. Mm. Is that part of the problem? I think it is, um, you know, and I think there is, in some cases, there's kind of a misogyny involved when it comes to birth plans, you know, and I've highlighted it in the book, um, you know, the book by Adam Kay called This Is Going To Hurt, which everyone thinks is hilariously funny. Um, says some really misogynistic things about birth plans, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, positioning women as this kind of like, you know, you get this kind of stereotype of the the middle class, floaty dressed um, mother with her, you know, with her sort of silly ideas about how her, she can control birth. And then, you know, inevitably, ha ha ha, you know, she, she ends up in the operating theatre. Yeah. And you, you quoted um, Birthzilla. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, Birthzilla. I mean, I, I say to people in, in my other book, The Positive Earth Book, you know, if you, if you need to be Birthzilla, be Birthzilla. Because I think, again, that's a kind of very sort of, you know, sexist idea, really. This idea of a woman who's actually got strong ideas and who knows her own mind and who's kind of bossy, if you like. You know, this, the bossy woman stereotype, the yeah. sort of angry, bossy, you know, men don't have to put up with that kind of stereotyping. They're just considered to, you know, be strong minded and a good leader or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's so it's a very sexist idea, the idea that a woman who's got a plan and isn't afraid to ask for what she wants is some sort of like crazed, um, you know, monster, really. There's a, I've written a whole chapter in my book called mm. Loose Women about, I don't know if you got to that bit yet, but it's about, um, you know, what happens to women when they try, when they do try to, um, birth outside of the norms you know and quite often they are um portrayed as mad or um dangerous in some way um social services will you know have been involved in many cases of women choosing to free birth for example um and i've even written uh, included the birth story from a friend of mine who lives just down the road in somerset so this isn't a woman that i kind of like spent years trying to find on social media she, she went i she told me the story at my local toddler group um, of how she was referred to the psychiatrist because she stood up to her obstetrician. 
um, and said she wanted things to be different to the way he wanted it to be. That seems um, very Victorian. It does seem a bit Victorian, doesn't it? But, you know, it does. there is a long history, some of which I've covered in another chapter in the book about the history of birth, of women being portrayed as, you know, mad or dangerous if they are opinionated. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, and that's not just in the world of birth. I mean, that, that happens everywhere. Well, yeah, if, if they read too much, if they don't want to get married. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so those all of those things are part of our history as women. And we can't just assume that that birth is exempt from any of that history or that any, or any of that, the sexism that is, you know, in existence today, it's not, it's unfortunately, it's not all history. So that sexism and misogyny is going to follow women into the birth room and it's going to be there because it is everywhere. Have you ever spoken to Adam Kay? I haven't. I always wondered if you'd ever sort of bumped into him at some thing <laughs> said hang on a minute mate your book is misogynistic no I don't think he likes me very much he's actually blocked me on twitter um I found I discovered by accident um so he obviously saw that I was tweeting and it wasn't just me there were quite a few people who had um from sort of birthy corners who were tweeting about his book and he um he obviously just decided he didn't want to hear that conversation so he, yeah. he blocked everyone which is fine it's his choice but uh for full full disclosure I have to admit that Mark and I both admit to enjoying the book as a whole but hating hating that bit about the laminated birth plans yeah there's quite a few bits in it which are a bit worrying I think but um you know not just the laminated birth plans mm. bit but yeah going back to this idea of the, the the birthzilla and the middle class floaty dressed sort of stereotypical woman who's you know and Meghan Markin fell into that stereotype beautifully and into the sort of jaws of the waiting press who couldn't wait to sort of try and shred her personally. Yeah, they wanted to see her fail. They wanted to see her fail because she's, well, for many reasons, I think, in her mm. case. Um, but but because she is, she is exactly the kind of woman we're talking about. She's incredibly strong, powerful, intelligent, educated, opinionated, um, you know, and she's not afraid to ask for what she wants. Um, you know, again, we get, we will hear words like diva or whatever, you know, she's spoilt or whatever, but she just, you could see she clearly done her research about birth and she knew what she wanted and she knew how to maximize her chances of having a really positive experience. And it looked like she probably did have quite a positive experience from the way she was afterwards. I'd say she looked like she, like it had gone really well for her. Maybe not exactly the birth she wanted, but like it was very a healthy, empowering experience. She looked yeah. like she was glowing, but she was ripped to shreds by um, you know an obstetrician as well, saying, "Oh, you know, um, he stood up at a conference of obstetricians and he said, oh, a, a doula and a willow tree. Let's see how that goes.'" I'm I'm talking about Meghan Markle, not because. I'm interested in prying into her life and I know there's an argument for just leaving her alone, but I'm talking about her because she's a public figure yeah. who represents what, you know, we've seen in the attitudes to her and to her birth plans, the same attitudes that are happening to, you know, Joe public, normal people like you and me. Um, but hers were just kind of amplified. So it's just a really good illustration, really that kind of attitude. How, I mean, can you imagine standing up in a public forum and mocking somebody in that way? and expecting it to be okay, it to be acceptable. Yeah. Um, these are the attitudes that I think my book's trying to highlight and to, to try and stop women from being discouraged 
from making a birth plan, like you said in your question, which I've rambled a million <laughs> miles away from. <laughs> I did specifically ask you to ramble a lot, so that's okay. <laughs> Again, it's the polarity that you raised at the beginning of our conversation that you can't, there's no room for nuance in it. So it's like you make this really strict birth plan and then it goes out the window. You know, it's like the, the abs, having absolute control over every tiny detail or, you know, it being completely out of your control and, and you're not having any say in anything that happens to you. Um, and I think that there's, you know, there's so much in between those two um, ends of the polar extreme that birth plans can help you to navigate and women are grown-ups you know this is another thing that I write about in this book being a grown-up you know I used um, I've used the example from transactional analysis I don't know if you know anything about transactional analysis but you know that idea that in in any um, sort of human interaction you can play one of three main roles an adult a child or a parent and I think in maternity care you know that we could we could use a blast of that sort of um way of thinking in terms of the fact that so often the maternity care system is in the role of parents and the, the women are in the role of child. Um, and we all, we need to be going into that maternity care system, holding on very tightly to our role of grown up. And the maternity care system needs to be treating us not as parent, but as grown up. So we need to be meeting grown up to grown up in that, in that interaction. And a birth plan is a good example of that. You know, it's a grown-up document. It's saying these are this is my the thinking that I've done about this is here on this page. The choices that I've made are here on this page. I have thought through my plan B. I have thought through what I want to happen if, because I'm a grown-up, you know. So it's yeah, and in fact, it's not a letter to Father Christmas. It's evidence that somebody has done some research, and and wants to be involved in the decision making about what happens to her own body. That's right. But unfortunately, this the sort of a self-perpetuating sort of vicious circle, really, of the of a birth plan being portrayed as the letter to Father Christmas, which I'm totally going to steal now and use. <laughs> Such a good, good um, analogy. So when they're portrayed in that way, then women, you know, that further discourages women from making them. So we've got a kind of a negative loop there that we need to break out of. And again, it's quite infantilizing, isn't it? Because it's saying... You don't need to worry your little heads about this. We've got this under control. <laughs> and at the end, you'll get a healthy baby and that's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that phrase. Um, yeah. <laughs> it kind of has underpinned quite a lot of everything that I've done, really. And mm. certainly, I think it was about five or six years ago when I wrote an article with that title. And it was by far and away the most viral thing I've ever written. It just, it's been read millions it, it of times was really influential yeah it, well I just somehow nailed it and actually I was going through a really hard time in my life that, that the week that I wrote that and I don't know how I you know sometimes you just pull it out the bag don't you when you yeah. write something yeah you definitely did with that one um, yeah and that was yeah but I think it sort of spoke to people and it still does because it's about saying you know how how women feel silenced by that phrase after birth I think was what the article focused on you know um yeah. My experience is that it silences them before it as well. And because I um, do antenatal work, I hear it all the time. And, and the kind of, well, why would we question the doctors? Why would we, why, why would we not do as we're told? 
and I, I say what exactly what I was, I was smiling as, uh, sort of wryly smiling as I read what you said about vaginal examinations, because I always say, in what circumstances is it okay for somebody to stick their fingers in your vagina without asking you? And they, they go, oh, yeah. An example that I use in the book is about the sexual relationship, because I think sometimes there's an anxiety around people like me, you know, are we saying to women, you've got to go in that room and tell the, the obstetricians to off, you know, are we trying to get women to go in and refuse to, to participate in any of it, you know, and say no to everything? Okay, so the example that I'm giving is in a sexual relationship, you might have been with your partner for five years or 10 years or 50 years, and you might have never, ever said no to them. You might have always said yes to everything and been perfectly happy, and that's fine. But you would have known in a healthy sexual relationship I'm talking about here, hopefully, that at any point, if you had decided that you didn't feel comfortable or you weren't enjoying yourself, you could say no, stop. And that is the the power dynamic that has underpinned your relationship with that person. So even though you've never said no to them once, your relationship has been built on the principle that you could and that you knew that and you trusted them. Well, in our current maternity care system, unfortunately, we are, it is built on a dynamic at the moment where many women do not realize that they can say no. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a very imbalanced power dynamic that is underpinning the whole shebang. Um, and when I go to sort of mainstream maternity events and I talk to people about choices in birth, one of the main things that they come up to me afterwards and say is, not, oh, I didn't know I could choose to have optimal clamping, whatever, but I didn't know that I could choose. They didn't know that they could say no. They didn't know that they could ask more questions. They didn't know that they could change care provider. They didn't know that they could go to a different hospital or, uh, you know, they didn't know that they had any say or agency or control in their birth experience. That was the big revelation to them from hearing me speak. So you think, wow, you know, that is a really, if that is the dynamic that's kind of underpinning maternity care, that you've got a lot of people going into it who don't know that they have any right to decline, that's terrible. And again, like I say, it's not about them then saying, now I know I can say no to everything I'm going to. It's about them, the power balance. It's about knowing that you're, you know, you're safe to decline something if at any point you don't feel comfortable. I hope that makes sense. Yeah about being confident that that's the that is an option a real a realistic one exactly one of the things that um occurred to me while i was reading was how it's often women who are treating these women as being difficult it, it can be midwives and it can be um i was reading a thread on facebook this morning and and it was very much sort of well you know not all birth does go to plan not not everybody can um choose what they want and that it's almost irresponsible of people like us to be telling mm. people that they can how do you how can you respond to that how can we how can we change that I think it's difficult I mean how can we change all of this I ha I must admit that sometimes I have days where I feel slight sense of despair that I don't know that we can <laughs> <laughs> not every day <laughs> but it is quite complicated um I'm hoping that you know by I think by starting this conversation, I'm hoping that will be one thing that pushes things forward in a better direction. Um, we are talking about, you know, 
this is a book about feminism and how you know it's, it impacts on birth. We are we do live in a patriarchy, and there's a myth about patriarchy that it is you know is all about men. Women participate in patriarchy and become slaves to the patriarchy, if you want to put it that way. Um, and so, just you know, because midwifery is mainly you know, populated with women doesn't mean that we, we are immune to patriarchy. We're all part of a patriarchy, women and men. It's a huge system change that's needed and it, it goes beyond maternity care. And I think I'm, I'm hopeful that things are changing because, you know, in the wider world, there are so many feminist voices and new movements in feminism that are causing people to rethink the way they behave, the way they treat women, etc. So I hope that filters into maternity care. But I also hope that stuff like the things that I'm saying filter into women's consciousness. You know, for example, in terms of complaining, I think that's a real parallel with Me Too, is that um, quite often women have really quite violating experiences in the maternity care and then they don't complain about them. They, they more than don't complain. They often express gratitude. Well, that's another interesting one. And, so, and a woman that I spoke to in my book described it as Stockholm syndrome, you know, the one where mm. you kind of um, fall in love with your yeah. captors. She said she felt that very strongly towards the people that she had been very abusive to her in her maternity care. So it is a, it's complicated, isn't it? It's, yes. And I'm just feeling a little bit of your despair. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do think will help is if people... If, if we do have, I mean, I'm just about to try and write an article about this, but if we do have a kind of Me Too movement for birth, because I think it's the little things as well. It's all those little kind of, you know, like the everyday sexism project. It's kind of those little moments as well. We're not talking mm -hmm. about, this is the other thing that must be made clear, is we're not talking about extreme situations of obstetric violence. I mean, they, I'm not saying they don't happen, for the majority of, of people giving birth in this country, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the little things, the um, I just broke your waters, by the way, while I was giving you the vaginal exam, that sort of level of violation. Um, really good story um, that somebody told me for the book, which I think is such a good example of the kind of thing we're talking about, is um, a woman who was in a birth pool now this was a home birth so on paper she had a home water birth okay but what happened to her was she her labor was really cracking on and she was really really feeling that her birth was quite imminent and the midwife said she wanted to give her a vagina exam and that she needed to get out of the pool so the woman said um i don't want to i can't get out of the pool right now i'm about to have a baby kind of thing and the midwife insisted it was essential so she said no again so the woman, the midwife then turned to the woman's husband and said, I've got to examine her. You've got to understand this is very important. It's not safe. Um, I'm worried the baby might be breech. She's got to get out of the pool. So the husband then felt, you know, really between a rock and a hard place and found himself becoming involved in the situation. He helped the midwife persuade his wife to get out of the pool. And she agreed to get out and to have the exam. During the exam, it was incredibly uncomfortable and the woman asked the midwife to stop and she didn't stop. So after that birth, there was, you know, a huge amount for this woman and her partner to process together because what had essentially happened was a violation of her in which he had unwittingly become complicit. And I think that's quite often, that does quite often happen, actually. 
So not only did she have to process that she felt very violated by what happened, but she also, and he also had to process that he had played a, an active part in that violation without wanting to. She then decided to complain, which many women, as we've said, don't. And when she complained, she spoke to a senior midwife and she was told, well, if she had stopped, you wouldn't have let her continue and it needed to be finished. And that was the end of, the, of it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just putting that in the context of, of people having sex. Yes. <laughs> just in my head. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, it, and, and the thing about that story is that it's not an extraordinary story. I didn't, again, dig around for years trying to find that particular story. I hear stories yeah, like that. No, I've heard all stories all like the that. Time, and actually, I shared it on my Instagram a, a couple of weeks ago, and loads of people commented saying, oh, yeah, something like that happened to me. You know, so there's so many elements to that story which illustrate what's not right here. And yet, like I say, this woman had a home water birth on paper, you know, and there was no complaint lodged because she, when she did try to complain, she was told, well, you know, it was, that was what had to be done. So, yeah, so it's a, I kind of hate telling that story actually, because every time I tell it, I can kind of, you know, can really feel that woman's experience and you just think, oh, it's a powerful story. I'm despairing again now. <laughs> don't despair, don't despair. I'm thinking that using the hashtag and um, getting people to read your book is uh, something positive that we can do to try and make those little changes to people's very big experiences. Um, Millie, I could talk to you all afternoon, but we're both under summer holiday pressure, so I should probably thank you for your time and uh, let you go. Thank you so much for having me You're on. You're welcome. So, Mark, what did you think of the book when you read it? Well, I, I tell you what's, what happened to me today. This just before this recording, I was speaking to one of the students um, on the BA three step rewind process. They're an NCT teacher. Uh, her name's Bridget Supple. Oh, yeah. And she gave me permission to quote her name. She was raving about the book. She said that as she read the book, she felt that Millie was saying everything that she feels about how, you know, the patriarchy have influenced uh, birthing structures. And she said she felt that Millie had been very courageous in the book in being willing to, uh, you know, without any airs or graces, without any qualifying um, statements, been very clear about how the service uh, you know, the birthing institutions have been failing women. Yeah. And um, I, I think that comes out in the book. What do you think? I think it really does. Yes. And, and also in her interview. And I, I've so enjoyed talking to her. And I, I feel like that after most of the interviews with you, to be honest. But considering it's it's been a long time we've been trying to get hold of Millie and get her to come on the show. And when she did, it was it was definitely worth the wait. Yeah. What I like about Millie is that she's relentlessly pushing the conversation forwards and bringing it into the mainstream. And she, as she says in the interview, she was surprised that her publisher felt there was an appetite for this book. And she points out that, you know, it, it was non-birthy people who were asking her to write this book about feminism and birth. All these things have been said before, but maybe not all in the same place. Well, yeah. And as a journalist, she knows how to use her voice or her platform and she really is using it for good. And there are other prominent journalists. I can think of a few like Bryony Gordon and um, 
Kirsty Elsop, I suppose she's not a journalist, but a personality um, that speak out about birth. But what they seem to be doing is debriefing their experiences of becoming a mother in the broadsheets in a way that right. is much more negative. And, and what they don't seem to realise is how much they're becoming part of the problem by doing that, part of the culture of fear and mistrust around birth. And I'm not saying they should be silent. Obviously, I'm not trying to shut them up. Of course, the danger in generalising in terms of how we speak about women's experience is that we are evoking a polarisation. Mm. So for, for every obstetrician or midwife that has behaved in ways that have kind of stripped women of power you know the idea of going to consent a woman for every midwife obstetrician that behaves that way there'll be others that don't of course as they read stuff that kind of couches um that that kind of suggests a generalization their reaction is to defend and of course they're not defending the system they're defending themselves yeah and then we've got polls and that's the, that's the problem. I mean, that'd be my only reservation about the book. The content is extraordinary and should be read. Yeah. But the context of producing a book that generalises about practice um, is that you reinforce the polarity. And the polarity is quite pronounced because the people who don't put themselves in the category that you're putting them in defend themselves. It's true, but what I see of Millie is that she's like, you know, she like these other journalists who've had birth experiences that weren't necessarily very positive to start with. Um, what what I often see them doing is writing in this very negative, blaming way, um, and they're kicking out against their disappointment or their trauma. And what I wish, wish is that they would be sort of reflecting that broader understanding. And Millie's taken the same experience and used it in this very positive way. She's looked really closely at the system. Instead of lashing out at it, she's examined it and trying to see how she can make it different for herself and for other women. And that seems really, truly feminist to me. That's why this book's important. Okay, got it. She's also such a real champion of the lived experience, you know what I mean? You get all the women's voices yeah. in her work. She uses a lot of anecdotes she tells her own story a lot i feel maybe a little bit too much self-disclosure in there too much self-disclosure yeah what what part of the book are you thinking of it's not a specific it's the the um cumulative effect of lots of self-disclosure uh, okay i'll have to i'll have to read again and and see what kind of self-disclosure you're talking about there's just lots and lots of i i don't think this is oh got it that plus all the, the other women's voices. And I, I do think women's stories are important and I want to hear them. Um, I hear them a lot anyway. And for me, that just makes it, she's kind of collating and crowdsourcing. And she's saying stuff that NCT has been saying for 60 years as if it's never been said before sometimes. But she's saying it loudly and that's really important. She's saying yeah. it in, in the mainstream. Yeah, that was the point that Bridget was saying. She was hearing herself in the book because, of course, she, she's been an NCT teacher for a long time. And I felt that with Rebecca Schiller's book as well, The No Guilt Pregnancy Plan, which I absolutely love as a book, but it feels like a manual for an NCT course. Yeah. It's not new. It's new to the people who are reading it, but it's not new to people like us. Yeah. No, I get that. And in a way, NCT, and we're not an advert for NCT, and we're not sponsored by NCT, uh, Karen 
you know, works for NCT. I'm a bit sponsored by NCT. <laughs> well, not not for this. I mean, I'm no, not giving on. your time to yes, this. Yes, this is independent. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, N- NCT have been doing this work for a long, long time. Um, and, and NCT have been committed to a rigour around leaving your personal experience uh, at the door when you go in to teach. Maybe that's why it jars with me because... Yes. And I actually had this experience in my... Um, first tutorial of the year where we we usually ask one person to share a birth story and after doing that in this tutorial one of the students said to me Karen we've never heard your birth story and I was I wasn't taken aback but I was like oh yeah I've never really even considered telling you my birth story because I am trained to not be sharing it's not about me yeah I and I, I kind of get that because although um it's impossible in my opinion for for a human being not to engage with their own story when they're communicating anything. Yeah. Because in order to communicate anything, I have to reference a previous experience. Otherwise, I I wouldn't have anything to communicate. And, of course, the previous experience will always only ever be mine. Mm -hmm. Totally true, yeah. NCT emphasising that is acknowledging that you can't stop it happening, but the awareness of it, makes it more less makes it less likely to happen Mm -hmm. yeah go on carry on yeah oh I was going to say that my story is so much more than my birth what makes me Karen the NCT practitioner or Karen the tutor or Karen the broadcast presenter it it might have started with the birth on a personal level but there is so much more that has gone into it than that yeah 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 I I understand your comment now about self-disclosure a lot more thanks for taking the time yeah no I think that if you hadn't poked me so much I would never have come to that realization so yeah (laughs) it's what we do Karen it's what you do (laughs) are we are we recommending this oh definitely yes it's a good read it it might it's not flawless but it's an important book now tell me uh, top three books that you would uh suggest that every pregnant woman read Rebecca Schiller's No Guilt Pregnancy Plan. Number one. I want to say Human Rights and Childbirth, which is also Rebecca, isn't it? Yeah, um, say it then. I'm just the Rebecca Schiller fan club here. Yeah. What else? Um, one more. A birthy book. Yeah. I quite like Bump by Kate Evans. Yeah, me too. It's very accessible. Yeah, yeah. They would be on my list without a doubt. Well, there you go, as a starting point. But I've got much more reading for you if you are in this situation. <laughs> of course, and for male partners of pregnant women. Well, I think there's that Mark Harris. He's got quite a good book uh, out. Yeah, I'd recommend uh, Dean, what's his name's book? Dean Beaumont, yeah. quite. Like yeah, what's his book called? I quite like it. It's very fact. The Expectant Dad's Handbook? Yeah, yeah, they, all of those are okay. They're de- dealing with the um, the kind of nitty gritty from a male perspective. Uh, mine's a bit different, but there you go. It's not an advert yeah. for me. You can advertise your book. No, I'm not worried. It's doing all right, thanks. <laughs> all right, <then. laughs> I, I was really... Um, AJ Silver's episode, uh, I enjoyed listening back. Yeah, we've had some lovely feedback, mostly in person. <laughs> Nothing I can read out. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, and she's um, writing a book uh, that will be published by Birthing Awareness Publishing towards the end of the year, uh, aimed at informing and educating uh, birth workers particularly about the whole area yes and you've mentioned i think you put it on our facebook page uh, was it a podcast about my binary life yes good 
I discovered it because in talking to AJ, it raised loads of issues uh, about my own blindness. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, I want to educate myself. So, you know, I asked about what books are out there and she gave me some recommendations. Uh, not many, has to be said. Uh, and I found that podcast on my own. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's good. It's well worth a listen. And that's what Mars Lord calls doing the work. Exactly. But that was the thing that left me feeling uh, that I had to do something. Yeah. You know, not just expect, um, you know, I don't know. So... Yeah, that's what happened with the AJ episode. Somebody also um, gave us a comment on that post. I haven't got the post up, um, but what they were recommending was the film Seahorse, The Dad Who Gave Birth. Yeah, yeah. Which is currently available on iPlayer. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but I think now you've prompted me, I will. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. need to do that. Yeah, very good. What's in the news, Karen? You've posted stuff. I haven't. I have. I've posted a Guardian article from the 9th of September entitled Charging Migrant Women for Maternity Care Puts Us All to Shame by Nell Frizzle. Why? Why'd you post that? Because she's writing about um, asking migrants to pay for their maternity care, which, you know, if, if there's anybody out there who's probably less in a position to pay for their maternity care, it might be these women. Yeah, agreed. As they say, it's shameful that we should be treating people who've come here for sanctuary and help and a better life like people with fewer rights than somebody who was born here. Yeah. No, I'm I'm in full agreement, yeah. Doesn't make sense to me. Full agreement. Um, not suggesting that pregnant women are prisoners. Um, but who is it who said that you can, you can tell the status of... Um, a country by how it treats its prisoners. Hmm. Surely uh, the same can be true uh, with to how a country treats its most vulnerable. Indeed. You know, and asking the most vulnerable to pay at a time of distress seems to me not a great reflection of the kind of society that we are potentially living in. Exactly that. Yeah. Um, there's a, a full study on this. Um, I'm not sure if it's by the RCM, but it's available on Maternity Action website, which is maternityaction.org.uk. And it's called Duty of Care, the Impact on Midwives of NHS Charging for Maternity Care. So that, that would be interesting background reading for this question. Are you going to post that, Karen? Um, I can do, yes, I will. Do it. Yeah. And there's the article from the BBC, Does the UK Have a Childbirth Race Problem? This this is an interesting article. Obviously, Mars has highlighted it. Yeah, and um, well done, BBC, for catching up with the rest of us. Yeah, it's cool. Although I did hear an interview on Radio 4. Professor, I can't remember her name, but she's Professor at Oxford that looks at um, mortality figures in birth. And she was making a number of points about very few women die uh, in the process of giving birth, uh, and the the majority of women that do die have pre-existing medical conditions, uh, namely heart disease. And of course, we already know about the largest cause of death at twelve months being mental health issues, um, resulting in suicide. And she was suggesting, and I'm going to go and find the uh, Radio 4 interview because it would be good to post that. She was suggesting there's there's far more uh, at play than ethnicity and race. She wasn't dismissing it, 
she was just saying we need to have a closer look before we assume that the system is institutionally racist, which is the assumption you might jump to. We do, but I would be very careful about turning around to women who are experiencing racism and saying it's not the system's fault. Oh, no, I wasn't suggesting that. No, I know you're not suggesting that. No, if she was a scientist saying we need to do a deeper, a, a deeper, we need to have a deeper look um, at all the uh, moving parts. Yeah, we'll see if you can find that interview. I will. I, I did make a note of her name because I thought she'd be a good um, broadcast guest. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get her on. Yeah, yeah. I will see if I can find it. But she does make a good point. You know, when you think that very few women die in the process of giving birth, um, so they either die in the run-up or after. Yeah. Underlying health conditions are the major contributing factor to death while pregnant or giving birth. That's interesting. That's a variable that you, I don't often think about. So, Karen, one of our traditions here is for me to ask you what's inspired you this month. I have been inspired by a book by Dean Burnett, who has written Why Your Parents Are Driving You Up the Wall and What to Do About It, which is a book for teenagers. So it may not be useful for our listeners on a professional level, but I'm sure that many will find it useful on a personal level. Um, I have read it, but then I also gave it to my 13-year-old son, who seems to be its precise target market, and he's been enjoying it as well. He's got to page 273, so he's definitely reading it. Well, so what, what about it inspired you? I like the way it's written. It's it's really nice, easy read. Um, uh, well, my son reads a lot anyway, but I think that it's something that most teenagers would be quite happy to pick up. It's got lots of cartoony bits. Um, it, it's broken up into um, small sections, so nice and easy to read. Um, lots on brain development stuff, but at a level that is very accessible. Um, and it basically takes the, takes the view that um, whilst parents come across as unreasonable, maybe... You, we teenagers should be a little more empathetic towards them. Right. And I, I quite liked that approach. It's, it's sort of, you know, yes, it's tedious that they keep asking you to pick up the towels, but how long would it really take you to do that? Got it. How about you? What's inspired you, Mark? You know, I, I can't think of anything, Karen. Well, that's very authentic. I know. <laughs> I, I know. I just can't think of anything. So I'm, that's I'm, okay. I'm not going to fake it. Fine. <laughs> I'd rather you didn't. Then moving on, next month, I've got an interview with the, the lovely David Gregory Kumar um, about his experience of having family using a surrogate and whatever we else we choose to talk about. We might have some feedback for you from the Northern Ireland Positive Birth Conference. I, I was going to say, Karen, are you taking your recorder? Should we? I wasn't planning to. I think I've got enough to do on the day. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I'll I'll have it in the back of my mind because we can always record on the iPhone. The, the quality on that's fairly good, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. So I'll get some interviews. Maybe get Michelle O'Dont on. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Let's see if we can. I don't know. So that'd be good. So I think that's all we've got time for today. And let us know what you think on Facebook or Twitter. That's facebook.com slash Sprogcast and at Sprogcast on Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, why not leave us a five-star review? Oh, and by the way, we're on Spotify now as well. We are indeed. Yeah, so thanks for listening and that's goodbye from me. And goodbye. You've been listening to Sprogcast with Karen Hall and Mark Harris. The news we've been discussing is on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Sprogcast, 
And don't forget you can buy great books from pinterandmartin.com using the discount code SPROGCAST at the checkout.